0: This is um, <laughs> strange times we're living in. It feels like a broken record saying that every week. But I'm coming to you live from my basement here at home in the south suburbs of Chicago as we enter week six of the shelter in place order. That was issued here in illinois and i know many of you watching uh, from different states and other different places but here in illinois this is week six and we have continued to experience some major disruptions to our lives and some of you disruptions to your livelihood as millions of people have been laid off or furloughed and no doubt this is just continue to disrupt our schedules and our rhythms and more and as this illinois stay-at-home order was extended for another month, uh, it just kind of cements this fact that we're not coming out of this anytime in the very near future. And if you're like me, even though you kind of expected this, even though you saw this coming, uh, uh, the weight of that news this week uh, just churned up uh, a bunch of uh, different emotions. And as I reflected this week, I realized that uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about what I want to happen in all of this. Right? I I want to get back to normal. I want people to stop dying, and I want people to stop getting sick. I, I want to be able to gather again as a church community. I want the schools to reopen. Um, I want the schools to reopen. Um, I want Did I say I wanted the schools to reopen? I, I've, 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 I haven't had any problems coming up with things that I want. I want to sit in my favorite restaurant and enjoy my favorite meal. I want to watch some sports, right? All these things are good things, and no doubt you have your list of all the things that you want to happen, that you've been hoping to happen. But uh, uh, this week I was... Arrested by this this, A different kind of question And that question is What should I want most In the midst of this We all have our wish list We all have the things that we want to happen But the question came to me what, What should I be wanting Not just what should I be wanting What should I want most In all of this I know it's true that What I want most typically Is centered around myself And my comforts and my safety, and my protection. But the more mature side of me presses me to ask, not what I want most, but what should I want most. And the more mature side of you should press you to ask, not what do I want, but what should I want. And here's the answer I came up with as I asked that question. What I should want most, I believe, is that God would be pleased with how I go through this. What I should want most in all of this, considering all these things I cannot control, all these things happening around me, what I should want most, particularly as a follower of Jesus, is that God would be pleased with how I grow, go through this. Now, I know that sounds super churchy, I know that sounds like something a preacher would and should say. Newsflash, I'm a preacher, so I'm saying it. But it is true. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am not here in this healthy place of asking, you know, wanting most that God be pleased. I'm not there most days. I wasn't there yesterday. In fact, I sang along with you the song, It Is Well With My Soul. I sang it in faith because most days perhaps even today my heart is not there but i believe that what i should most want most in all of this is that god would be pleased with how i go through this that god would be glorified in my life as i walk Through this, that God would look down and behold how I'm dealing with this storm, dealing with this discomfort, dealing with either being laid off or hours cut, dealing with things shutting down, dealing with my freedoms and my rhythms being disrupted. And God would go, that's how it's supposed to be done. On top of all of that, I want that other people would be would look at how I'm dealing with this and processing this and not glorify me and not bestow upon me accolades and praise, but say, man, there is something about how that person is going through this that is attractive. I want to ask some questions. I want to learn more that other people would look upon how we're dealing with this and go, man, uh, what's, what's the secret? In other words, that God would get glory as others behold how we deal with this. And so how do we achieve this? How do we make sure that God gets glory out of how we do this? Well, uh, I heard a preacher say once that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. say that again. That God is most glorified in us. God gets the most glory out of our lives when we are most satisfied in Him. And so I think that maybe the key to us going through these well, uh, these crises and these circumstances well, and God being pleased with how we go through these, is tied to how satisfied we are in Him. I remember the folks in the old church used to say, God, if you don't do nothing else for me, I'll be all right. And what were they saying? They're saying, sure, I've got wish lists a mile long, but, Lord, you've been so good to me. You've been so kind. You've given me so much. I'm really satisfied in you already. If you don't do anything else for me, I'll be okay. And I think what that is describing is a word that we use often. It's a word called contentment, right? And contentment is defined as a state of satisfaction, a Peaceful happiness and contentment does not suggest that everything is fine. Contentment doesn't suggest that uh, all your wish list has been checked off and you know you got everything you want and the conditions are peaceful and serene and comfortable. Contentment is an inner state of satisfaction, a deep, peaceful happiness that has virtually nothing to do with the surrounding circumstances. And something tells me that as we settle into yet another long stretch of this pandemic, that our goal is to find contentment. To find contentment so that our lives, particularly how we go through this, will be pleasing to God and God would get glory as we walk through this. This contentment actively works against uh, dissatisfaction, discontentment, uh, feelings of entitlement, And as we find contentment this morning in the scriptures, my prayer is that that would sink deep into your heart and have a lasting effect on your life, especially as we go through this next stretch. I want to look at a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we'll start at verse 10. Uh, Feel free to grab your Bibles or your tablets or your phones and follow along as I read Paul's words here in Philippians. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Now, we have to add some context in order to make this come alive today. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, writing to his friends uh, from uh, a prison. And in this particular time, Paul has received like a care package from the Philippian church. And he's writing this letter to thank them for their generosity. These items that Paul has received has sustained him during his time in prison. And he's so, so very grateful for the gifts he's been given by the Philippian church that he writes them this letter of thanks. But as he's writing these letter of thanks, he talks to us about this thing called commitment. And this is a fitting text, for the hour we're in. It's a fitting uh, passage of scripture to study and to, to get to digest as we deal with yet another week of being sheltered in place and having our lives disrupted and our comforts taken away from us. See, what pa- Paul is doing, he's, he's casually unpacking something that will totally change our lives if we let it. He's unpacking something in a rather casual way that I think that we should really, really pay attention to because it will have a dramatic effect on our life with Jesus. It will have a dramatic effect on our lives with other people, especially in these moments of crisis. And as we talk about contentment, excuse me, uh, Paul gives us some fitting instruction for this hour, and I want to encourage you to lean in as we take a little bit of time to jog through this passage. There's three things I want to pull out that might help us figure this out today. So the first thing that we see is that contentment in this text is a learned skill. It is a skill that you learn. In other words, you're not born with it, you cannot buy it, you don't stumble into it, but Contentment is something that you learn. Like all the other virtuous things uh, that we have to gain and attain in our life, they don't come to us by chance. They don't come easy. We have to purposefully lean into them. And for some of you, this is going to be a relief to you because you think that you're broken. You think that there's something wrong with you. you say, Why don't I have contentment and other people seem to, to have it? Well, it's something that you have to learn. It's something that you have to attain. It's something that you have to... T- attune your heart to, right? And so it is a learned skill. Paul says as much in verse 11. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, he says, learned how to be content with whatever I have. In verse 12, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. Paul says, I have learned this. And you might ask, where did Paul learn this? Did he learn this at the feet of Gamaliel, his discipler? Did he learn this at university? Did he take an online course in contentment? Did he get a supernatural download of contentment on the road to Damascus? Many of us know the answers to those questions are resounding no. No, Paul learned contentment in what some might call the furnace of affliction. Paul learned contentment in what others might call the school of heart knocks. And Paul, like many of us, have graduated with an advanced degree in suffering from the school of heart knocks. Some of us still smell like smoke as we've hung out for an extended stay in the furnace of affliction. If you study Paul's life, you know that his life has not been a crystal stair, especially uh, from the moment he came to follow Christ and submit himself to God's mission and his plan for his life. We all know that Paul has had a rocky, difficult life as he submitted himself in obedience to Christ. And as he's had this rocky life, he's learned how to be content. He's learned a deep measure of satisfaction that could carry him through some of the roughest times and some of the worst and roughest circumstances, right? And so let me just tell you this. Some of us have been enrolled in the school of hard knocks, and some of us know that just because you are dealing with hard times doesn't necessarily mean you learn the right lessons, right, in the school of hard knocks. Just because you go through suffering and pain doesn't automatically mean you get spit out. On the other side, with a degree in contentment, like regular school, you can fail your courses like regular school. You can spend a lot of time in school and just squander your time and emerge with nothing to show for your time there. But student loans, right? And bumps and bruises. But if you can learn to view your crises and your struggles and your pain and your lack through the right lenses, it can teach you an invaluable lesson, right? Like Paul, it can teach you contentment. And so we are uniquely positioned, church, in this crisis, in this storm, we are enrolled in this school of heart knocks, and we're uniquely positioned to learn the things that Paul has learned. We're uniquely positioned to learn contentment. Now, some of you are asking, did God cause this just so we would learn contentment? I don't know. But minimally, he allowed it. And what I know about God from my own life and from the scriptures is that God uses pain. He uses suffering. He uses the furnace of affliction, whether he causes it or not, to teach us things that we cannot and would not learn otherwise. And I believe that for many of us, the best thing that can happen to us at times is for us to be afflicted for us to have to suffer, for us to have to know lack, for us to have some of our freedoms and our comforts taken away, for us to experience unpleasant circumstances, to have people turn their backs on us, and to experience what some might call the pinch of want. For some of us, for many of us, dare I say all of us, there are points and moments in our lives where that's the possible thing that can happen because there are things that we need to learn, things that God wants to teach us, things that he can only teach us in these difficult moments. Because in the furnace of affliction, you are better able to see who you are, who you really are. In the furnace of affliction, you are better able to see who God is, and I mean who God really is. In the furnace of affliction you are better able to see what you really need and what you could do without. In times of crisis and moments of pain and pressure, uh, there are more clear lines drawn between our wants and needs. You know those creature comforts, those certain rhythms, you thought you needed a certain amount of income in order to live, in order Excuse me, in order to be happy. You thought you needed certain relationships and certain friends and a certain significant other. And some of us have gone through trials and circumstances that have stripped us of those things that we were sure we needed and helped us understand what was essential and what wasn't. And even as we sit in this present circumstance, there's nothing like a good global pandemic to qualify what's essential uh, and what's not. To differentiate between our wants and our needs because as we've said week after week, crisis is a good editor, right? And so you learned who was really with you and who wasn't. The furnace of affliction can and should teach us a lot about our own faith and our own life with Jesus. Because some of us, as we go through difficult things, maybe even this present thing, we saw how much of joy and peace we had was based on just being in comfortable circumstances. Uh, How much of your joy and your peace and your faith was contingent upon smooth sailing and good times. Some of us, as we walk through this, we've learned to rely on God in ways that we didn't think we needed. On top of all of that, as we've walked through this and we've experienced struggle and pain ourselves, we've developed compassion for those who struggle. We've developed measures of of empathy in ways that were lacking before. And some of us have realized that we had a lot to say about people, uh, that we've experienced some of those same issues ourselves. We fall into some same holes and some same uh, uh, harmful patterns of behavior as we've gone through. And the Lord has taught us some things as we have gone through the furnace of affliction that we would have never been able to learn outside of struggle and pain, You learn some things through suffering that you could never learn in comfort. That God's hand was working in our lives, using our pain to, con- to condition us and to teach us contentment. Paul says he learned contentment. And one of the major benefits of allowing God to teach you contentment is this, which is my second thing, that contentment brings steadiness. Contentment brings steadiness. So we've already established that contentment is a learned behavior. And it's usually learned as you walk through the furnace of affliction. But the second thing is that contentment brings steadiness. And I believe that that is a word for this hour. In fact, it was spoken by a sister, uh, Yvette Mayo, week one of this. She emails me or, or texts me. She said, I got a word that steadiness is a word for SSV, that we should lean towards steadiness. That's what we should pray for. That's what we should seek to find. And boy, was that word right on the money. But contentment brings steadiness. When the world around us is shaking and crumbling, And that might look different from person to person. We need steadiness. Paul says, verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret. It's a secret. It's hidden. Not everybody knows it. Of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. What's Paul saying? In any circumstance, whether things are chill or, or things are crazy. Whether I'm at home and I'm I'm free to do whatever I want, or I'm in prison. Paul's in a literal prison, but for some of us feel entombed in our homes as we have to shelter in place. Um, Whether times are good or times are bad. Paul said, in any circumstances, I have learned the secret. And let me tell you, man, I want this. Contentment. Steadiness. I need this. You need this more than you know. The steadiness that comes from contentment. Because Paul talks about every circumstance, every season of the soul. And he goes, he says, this contentment will steady you no matter which end of the spectrum you're on. When I'm up and things are going well, this contentment, this steadiness allows me to not lose my mind when things are going well. To keep to Jesus and to stay faithful even when i 'm winning and things are going well, that I don't forget what's true I don't forget what's real even when things are good, that I can have things and not have the things have me Paul says i've learned how to be content and how to be steady when things are good and he swings us all the way to the other end of the spectrum and he says i've also learned how to be content. When I'm down, when things are crazy, if he's in prison, if he's getting stoned again, if his friends walk away from him, he's in trouble with the law. A global pandemic breaks out. Paul says, I have learned, I have learned how to hold on to the truth of who God is, even when I'm down. How to remember who who, who God says I am, even when things are down. How to not fall apart, how to grieve appropriately and not go under. Paul says, I've learned how to handle myself in these far, like these far apart circumstances. And of course, everything else in between, Paul says, this contentment steadies me in a way that nothing else can. You know, the best compliment my wife has uh, ever given to me, and she compliments me all the time. She calls me handsome and all those things, right? Uh, But she said to me once, she said, I appreciate that you are steady. I appreciate that you are steady. Let me tell you, of all the things that she could say to me, I I really have held on to those words, and I've really worked hard to try to be steady because I believe that that's the best compliment that my wife can give me. That's the best compliment that my friends, or that my congregation, or or my staff could give me is to say, "Hey, Gino, you you are steady," which basically that's their way of saying, "Hey, your feet are planted." That's basically saying, "Hey, we don't have to guess which version of you is going to wake up in the morning or which version of you is going to walk through the door." Uh, We appreciate your steadiness, and I just want to ask you, are you are you a steady person? Are you a person that we can just count on to be like, I know that you deal with situations and circumstances. I know that there's a wide range of emotions that might come to bear on your heart. But I have found that steady people uh, are people who are generally rooted in Uh, contentment, right? They are folks who are usually not easily rocked by the day's events or by the day's news about what this one said or that one said. Their peace does not fluctuate as their bank account rises and falls as the Dow rises or plummets. I have found that steady people are like People's favorite people, typically because our heart longs for a a certain healthy measure of predictability in our relationships. And this is what God offers, right? Steadiness. As we trust him and as we lean on him, our hearts are anchored in the best possible way. And I would suggest to you that the people in your life probably need just the most from you just steadiness. Particularly in times of crisis when everything is shifting steadiness. But this steadiness comes where? From a place of contentment. But as Paul wraps up this faithful short discourse on contentment, he reveals the true source of the treasure he's found. He reveals to us what truly anchors his soul, what steadies him. He points to Jesus, which is the third thing I want to highlight in this text. Jesus is the rock for Paul. Jesus is the steadying force. Jesus is Paul's anchor for his soul. Jesus is the thing that makes Paul be able to sing with confidence and integrity, it is well with my soul. He tells us as much in verse 13. He says, For I can do everything through Christ. Who gives me strength? There's that strength we were talking about last week, right? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And dare I say new strength as we lean the full weight of our life on us. This is what Paul is talking about. The anchor is Jesus. The anchor isn't your money. That could change. That could switch up on you in an instant. The anchor isn't your job or your vocation. Ask the millions and millions of Americans who are applying for uh, um, um, unemployment. Ask them, is their job a lasting anchor for the soul? 50,000 American lives gone like that in a matter of months. People, they can't be your anchor. They're here today. They are gone tomorrow. Well, they can't be the anchor for your soul. I can go down the list of all the things that we worship, all the things that we think we need, and they have something in common. They're here today, gone tomorrow. I'm enjoying them today, and tomorrow they slip through my fingers. The only thing that is constant, the only thing that will never, ever fade away is Jesus. And what some of us know is that something wacky happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. Something strange happens when we abandon him and to fix our eyes and our hope and build our house on something else. Something happens. Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What's the lesson here? Build your house on Jesus. And it will stand when the rains come. Build your life on Jesus. And it will be well with your soul, whatever your lot. Build your life on Jesus. And when the world is shaking around you, you will experience the the steadiness that comes from being satisfied in Him. On the other hand, if you build your house on anything else, I mean anything else but Him, When the rains come, when the winds come, when the torrents and the floods come, guess what? It'll all crumble. It'll all be washed away. And so this behooves us then to to press into a place and to find a place of deep satisfaction in him because this steadiness comes from confidence. The confidence that comes when your house is built on the rock that is Jesus it makes us content because we trust him. Because we know that what we're seeing around us doesn't compare to the firm foundation that we've built our lives upon. That we are in the hands of the Good Shepherd. And as the psalmist says, that in the hands of the Good Shepherd, in the care of the Good Shepherd, I have everything I need. Doesn't say I have everything I want. Doesn't say that everything's right, clicking along peacefully and perfectly. It says that I am in the care of the Good Shepherd. And because of that, I know, even if I can't see it, I know that I have everything I need. I know also from the word that not even death, not if even my worst nightmare happens, not even death can separate me from his love and care. If you kill this body, you'll be raised up and I'll spend eternity with him. So not even death, the thing that most people fear most, can separate me from his love. And so my heart is confident in that. I'm secure in that. And that confidence gives way to a deep, a deep satisfaction that steadies us when the world around us is going crazy. Some of you say contentment. That sounds so good. I have so little of it. You say, man, that's not where I am today, Pastor. That's not where I am. Most of us uh, need A healthy dose of contentment today. Most of us need to lean in and to press into a place where we are most satisfied in God so that He might get the glory out of our life. I'll start I'll finish this in the same way that I started. What should I want most in all of this? What should you want most in all of this? Is that God is glorified in my life, particularly with how I go through this. And you won't find that God is glorified with your life. You won't find that God is glorified in your life. You won't find that you are deeply satisfied in him without learning contentment. Listen, we're in the furnace of affliction, so to speak. We're all enrolled in the school of hard knocks, so to speak. This is a prime opportunity to ask the Lord, Lord, teach me Contentment can te- teach me to unhook myself from my, my, my uh, the idols of comfort so that I might lean into a place where I am deeply satisfied in you no matter what the circumstance. Lord, may this contentment bring a steadiness to my life that I have been lacking. And may I find that as I look into your word, as I look into who you are, that you are my rock, that I can be confident in you. And that confidence gives way to contentment, and that contentment gives way to steadiness, Father. And my soul can be anchored no matter what is going on in my life. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this today, you, just, you know Jesus is your rock. You know that he's the source of your strength, and you know that you just need to call out to him today. You need to lean the full weight of your life on him, as we talked about last week. But there are many of you who are listening to me today who would not identify as a Christian or a follower of Jesus. But you desperately want the steadiness that only Jesus can provide. The scriptures tell us that everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that Christ died for our sins so that anybody who might believe that message would not perish but have eternal life. And so if you're listening to me today and you do not Uh, enjoy the benefits of life with Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Listen, this steadiness can be yours as well. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus hasn't been first in your life. Acknowledge that you've been living your life for yourself. And make an active, willful choice to sit Jesus on the throne of your heart. To surrender your heart to Him. So no matter who you are or where you are today, we can all learn from what Paul is teaching us here. We can all benefit from the steadiness that only comes from life with Jesus. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we confess that we have been thrown by the winds and the waves. Many of us because our life is not built upon you. Our life is built upon all the fleeting things that are crumbling right before our eyes. And Father, so we willfully choose to actively build our life on you, the anchor for our souls. And so, Father, as we go through this, may we go through well. Or may we go through in a way that brings glory to you and draws attention to you. Father, would you teach us contentment? And may this week be marked by ways that we can see measurable ways that we've taken our eyes off the things around us and placed our eyes and our hope and our trust on you. Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Hey, thank you for uh, being with us today. Hey, if you need prayer or you have any needs or you just want to connect, info at southsuburbanvenue.org. Hey, if you received Christ today and you submitted your life to Christ and you want to learn the next steps, listen, email us. We will get in contact with you so that you can continue on this journey with Jesus. We'll be back here on Wednesday night. Bless you. Have a good day.